Kia ora and welcome to the Kaka. This is my daily podcast uh, with my Substack, thekaka.substack.com. Today I wanted to focus on how much money the government has spent to support businesses through the COVID recovery and contrast that with how much money it has spent on supporting the most vulnerable, the people in who are in working families or who are beneficiaries and often have children who are living in poverty. So essentially, how, how fair, uh, how equal has the government's response to the COVID recovery been? Because we're nearly two years into it now, and it looks like the money from the government is going to slow down over the next couple of months. We heard yesterday from the government that the the last of the big payments, the transition support payment to businesses, it will look at uh, how much revenues have fallen in the last month or so compared with before the August lockdowns, particularly in Auckland, and there will be a payment of up to $24,000 per business that can demonstrate that their revenues were lower because of the lockdowns. This is similar in a way to the uh, wage subsidy payments and the COVID resurgence payments which were given to businesses, no questions asked, from March last year, uh, again in August last year, and of course from August this year. About $14 billion was paid last year, and just under a billion dollars was paid back by those businesses who realised they didn't need it. Because of course, uh, once the um, initial shock of the uh, COVID outbreak uh, went through and the government paid um, billions of dollars every fortnight in cash to businesses. That stabilised the situation and very quickly after the lockdowns were finished, people went back on their merry way of spending and getting jobs. And of course, we've seen the economy do very well overall in the last year or so to the point now where unemployment is at a record low of 3.4%. So we're getting towards the end of this process, and I think it's worth doing a stock take on just how fair and effective the COVID response has been from our government. Because on the face of it, it looks pretty good. 3.4% unemployment, uh, the economy has done better pretty much than any other in the world. Asset prices going very, very well. If you happen to own assets, you're feeling pretty good about the world. Uh, we've seen uh, also that New Zealand is seen as one of the uh, um, shining lights of the, the COVID response, having the lowest death rate and the lowest number of cases uh, as a proportion of the population in the world. We obviously were able to lock down hard and early, and that turned out to be the best strategy, not just for the health of Aotearoa New Zealand, but also for the economy. So the government... Um, is feeling fairly uh, happy about the situation. And of course, those people who own assets are feeling pretty happy as well. But let's have a, a closer look at who are the winners and the losers from the government's actions over the last 18 months to two years. So we know when COVID broke out and we went into level four lockdown in late March of last year, the government had already launched um, some support for businesses, but ramped that up very aggressively so that people were essentially getting what was called a wage subsidy. This is cash from the government to a business to ensure that someone wasn't sacked and that people could stay in work. 
these wage furlough schemes have been quite popular around the world and have been effective in keeping people in jobs, giving employers a boost in confidence and in cash flow when everything ground to a halt. So upwards of $14 billion was spent last year on these wage subsidies. But very quickly, the economy rebounded. Uh, we came out of lockdowns, and after $14 billion was spent, uh, it was a, there was actually a little bit extra that was spent in uh, August, September of last year as well, when we had a, a, a brief lockdown. That, um, that It became fairly clear fairly quickly that the businesses had done very well out of this process. There'd been a rebound. Uh, jobs growth had been much stronger than expected and uh, unemployment certainly didn't go anywhere over the double digit rate that we all thought it would and our economy had actually grown stunningly so um, businesses overall actually did better last year when you look at the numbers reported to IRD it shows that business profits last year actually rose from the previous year despite the shock of COVID. And when you look at what's actually happened with the cash balances, not just of businesses, but of households, you think last year was pretty bad and people lost a lot of money. Well, when you look at the cash balances, you can see that overall households and businesses have increased their cash balances last year by $45 billion to $319 billion. Now, a good chunk of that is in transaction accounts, so cash and it shows that a bunch of people saved quite a bit of money, including businesses, and also got essentially more money in than they spent going out. Now, uh, for a lot of businesses, they pretty quickly realized that they actually hadn't needed that money. They've been able to keep paying wages, and at the end of the process, uh, they actually had a surplus. Now, some people repaid that money off their own bet, but a lot of people just kept it. In fact, a lot of people kept it, and then handed it back to shareholders. And some pretty big names uh, essentially refused to repay the money and uh, used it, that cash to uh, pay dividends to shareholders or buy back shares. And uh, you have to look at the lights, likes of Harvey Norman, of Katmandu, Fletcher Building, Fulton Hogan, uh, a whole bunch of companies in New Zealand and also companies operating in Australia, such as um, the, uh, Harvey Norman, um, the Normans fam families, uh, James Pascoe Group, Stuart Dawson's, Goldmark, Whitcool's, Farmers, NZME, the owner of NZ Herald, uh, have all kept the money and uh, repaid it, not to the government, but to their own shelters. And there's a whole bunch of other companies who aren't necessarily listed, who have also gotten tens of millions of dollars who, on the face of it, have plenty of resources off their own bat to uh, cope with the shock, uh, but instead chose to take the government money and not repay it. Some have even defended it. David Kirk, for example, the Kathmandu chairman, uh, he came out a few months ago and said that uh, he thought that shareholders uh, should be protected in this process and had taken some of the pain and needed to get... Uh, money back through dividends. Uh, however, some others did repay the money. The warehouse Briscoes, uh, although only after they were exposed in public, uh, we saw Ryman, Ryman Healthcare, Vector, uh, even TradeMe, which is a very heavily indebted private equity-owned company. And this is one of the interesting things here. Those companies that had 
cash reserves going into COVID, obviously we're able to use those cash reserves. Others that had not, that had geared themselves up to the eyeballs in a way to, um, in an effort to increase their return on equity, but not have much resilience in their balance sheets, were able to call on the government. What we have in effect here is a, 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 an act of God, I suppose you could call it, although there were plenty of people who have warned in the past about these sorts of pandemics, in which uh, the government has taken um, an action, i.e. lockdowns, which have affected a business. Now, they, may, they could claim that this is um, an act beyond their control and they shouldn't be blamed for... Uh, not being ready or not making a profit or um, going bankrupt because of such an event and it was helpful for the government to pay them cash. I get that. And certainly in March last year when people were talking about uh, big um, increases in unemployment, it certainly made sense to pay money in cash, no questions asked, get it out the door, give that confidence immediately. And those injections of billions of dollars in mere weeks in March, April, May of last year certainly did help things. But once we realised that um, things had stabilised and businesses did have some resources and some confidence, and they certainly dealt with the August last year, the February and the August this year um, lockdowns in a different way. They didn't look to sack people. They often, uh, their confidence was certainly stronger. Uh, yet the... Um, big payments of cash have continued on. And remember, these are payments of cash. They're not being clawed back. They're not being means tested. And um, essentially, it's a it's a um, it's a system of honesty. Um, you have to pay the money back if you think you didn't need it. Uh, and interestingly, MSD hasn't even gone to the uh, trouble of sending everyone a letter saying, uh, "Hey, um, can you check if you didn't really need this money? Please send it back." Uh, and over a thousand um, cases have been referred for prosecution. You have only had one prosecution of someone who uh, took the money when they shouldn't have. This is a particular problem, I think, because A, um, when the Auditor General looked at the process of the wage subsidies and resurgence payments last year, the Auditor General made the point that um, the audits done by the uh, by MSD in terms of checking who had um, hadn't uh, fibbed when they said that their revenues were down thirty percent, that uh, they um, they hadn't done proper audits, and also questioned why MSD hadn't simply sent um, letters to the businesses asking for their GST receipts to prove that their revenues had fallen. And uh, certainly there are questions to be asked about why the government takes a very punitive and non-trusting approach when it comes to beneficiaries and to uh, money for special grants, but not when it comes to businesses. So that's on the cash payout side. The other side of the economic response is the monetary policy response. Now, on the face of it, you could say the government had nothing to do with this. The Reserve Bank is independent. They could do their own thing. Well, that's not actually true, because in this case, the Reserve Bank used unconventional monetary policy, what is known globally as quantitative easing. This is where the central bank invents money and uses it to buy government bonds, usually in the secondary market, to push down interest rates, uh, which 
usually pushes up uh, asset prices. It's a tactic that's been used since the global financial crisis by the US Federal Reserve. In fact, the um, Bank of Japan has been <laughs> doing it for over 20 years. And we've seen the ECB, the Bank of England, Reserve Bank of Australia, and of course the Reserve Bank of New Zealand do it as well. And from March uh, through to about July this year, the Reserve Bank was printing money and buying bonds to lower long-term interest rates that certainly um, had an impact on the housing market. House prices have risen 40% since February last year, and the Reserve Bank itself was forecasting another 10% rise in uh, house prices. Now, this has meant that people who already own assets, and most people who own businesses often own their own homes. They're often uh, usually funded from that home, um, and uh, Certainly, uh, they have done pretty well out of the uh, reaction to COVID. We saw um, the value of the housing market, or at least the equity in that housing market, rise by $886 billion. And, uh, and, and that has meant that um, we, have, um, we have seen a, a significant increase in the value of um, household net worth. By my calculations, sorry, that 886, that's what it was at the beginning of COVID. It's since risen to 1.46 trillion. Therefore, the um, the uh, equity gain on houses has been $577 billion. Once you add on the extra cash in bank accounts and the growth in the value of shares and bonds, uh, we've seen an $872 billion increase in the value of household net worth in New Zealand, up to $2.6 trillion. So essentially the government rescued businesses and increased the wealth of the wealthier as a way to respond to the COVID crisis, to ensure that the economy was stable and that people stayed in jobs. That's understandable when you're in a crisis and you don't have any other tools. It's not quite uh, true, and that there are other governments that made cash handouts generally to all citizens or residents to ensure that uh, money kept flowing around the economy and the economy was supported. We didn't do that here. What instead we did was um, increase benefits uh, for some uh, beneficiaries, increased a winter energy payment, and uh, overall increased um, cash incomes for people on benefits and working families by a little bit less than the increase in rents that happened over the last year. On top of that, many of those people who are on uh, low incomes are in precarious jobs, lots of part-time jobs, low-paid jobs, uh, jobs where you really depend on getting extra hours. You may have two or three different sources of income, and they're the ones that have really been hit hard. And certainly the surveys from uh, Westpac on employee confidence shows that for most people over the last year, despite talk of a very tight labour market, have actually experienced lower incomes and are expecting um, the net number of people who expect higher incomes is near record lows. So uh, a lot of people on low incomes don't feel like it's been a fantastic time, even though we have 3.4% unemployment and lots of talk of um, wage increases, but not much evidence of it yet. So um, we're at a position now where we can start to take stock of what's happened with the COVID recovery. 
and whether this was the best approach and what we have end up, ended up with um, at the end of the process. What we've ended up with is a massive widening of inequality between the 60% or so of the population who own property in particular and most likely have KiwiSaver funds and other invested funds and money in the bank. That's 60%, so that's quite a big chunk of the economy. Um, and then the 40% or so, who uh, 40 to 50% of the population, who and certainly 50% of the kids, uh, who are renting and on relatively low incomes. We've seen some various highly promoted announcements from the government over the last year or so about various payments, um, various grants to food banks, increased grants for special needs, those sorts of special needs payments, those sorts of things. But when you actually look at the numbers, for example, the announcement of benefit increases uh, earlier this year, uh, they pale compared to the cash grants to businesses. So we're talking um, less than $100 million in benefit increases per year over the next four years. That compares with $20 billion in cash paid to businesses and subsequently put into bank accounts. And uh, when you look at, at um, the situation of those on low incomes, uh, they are increasingly uh, homeless. So we've seen a 60% increase of people on the public housing register. We've seen a massive increase in the need for food bank parcels. And uh, we've also seen a significant increase in special needs grants and debt that people who are on benefits have to repay to MSD. And it's not a small number. $750 million, the most recent numbers we've got as of March 2020. So obviously it will have worsened substantially since then. That is uh, nearly $4,000 on average per beneficiary. And uh, despite calls for that, uh, for either a debt moratorium from MSD or a, a one-off debt write-off, uh, that debt is still there. So what we have, again, is $20 billion in cash given to people who are already wealthy. Government policies which have made that group of people $872 billion wealthier in less than two years. But the government refuses to... Um, help via cash payments or by debt relief the 360,000 people living in or near poverty in New Zealand and the over 100,000 children who are living in poverty. Now you might say, well, um, gee, we, we didn't expect that. Maybe we can turn it around. Well, actually, we have seen this before and in most parts of the developed world uh, with democracies and a fair few non-democracies too. So, for example, after the global financial crisis, it became clear that governments had essentially used their arms of government, so central banks, government spending, to bail out large businesses, to um, print money to make the wealthy wealthier. And for those people who had caused many of these problems for the global financial crisis, in particular banks that had over-leveraged themselves and in many cases committed fraud, um, hardly any, in fact, less than a dozen were actually prosecuted. Many of the corporations uh, deemed responsible for the excesses of the global financial crisis paid settlements to um, various government arms, but um, hardly any of their executives, in fact, no senior executives or directors were ever prosecuted. Uh, 
quite the same could be said in New Zealand. Uh, we had the finance company collapses in 2007-8, and there were a few of, few of those directors who went to jail. But again, uh, in 2008-9, the government essentially spent a billion dollars uh, bailing out those people who had lent money to South Canterbury Finance. And the government also provided a government guarantee for people who had money in banks and in finance companies, the ones that were still alive when it, when it was given. And uh, we certainly saw the Reserve Bank help out the banking system in 2008 and 2009 by effectively uh, lending money to banks at very um, good interest rates to ensure that they could um, roll over their debt in the hot money markets in New York and London. And in effect, the Reserve Bank's dramatic slashing of interest rates in 2000, late 2008, early 2009, uh, along with its liquidity support for the banks, rescued the housing market. So when the Reserve Bank finally acted, house prices were down towards 10%. Almost immediately, they bounced and kept bouncing. So it effectively, it was a, a government bailout of the uh, banking system and um, a support for the main uh, market in New Zealand, the housing market. Fast forward to the COVID crisis, and in most parts of the world this has happened again. So we've seen significant money printing, cash grants to businesses, and in New Zealand, um, where the government has chosen not to make cash grants to the broad public or residents, unlike some other countries, almost all of the support has been channeled in in cash terms to people who own assets, who own businesses. And they have not been asked to um, repay it in any sort of consistent or aggressive way. And we've seen um, the housing market, of course, rise dramatically, taking out another generation of people who may have wanted to get into housing and contributing to the rise in rents that uh, people who are not owning housing have to pay. So we're in a situation now where it's pretty clear that moral hazard is a problem. Where once you needed to have savings to deal with some sort of out-of-the-blue shock, now you can rely on the government to ensure that you are supported. Secondly, if you're rich and suddenly there's a shock to your asset values caused by some act of God, I suppose you could call it, maybe it's a global financial crisis, you now expect the government and the central bank to intervene with money printing or cash payouts or bailouts or subsidies to ensure that your assets are protected. Now, this is a particular problem with democracies. They often get captured by people who are able to um, use their wealth and influence. Um, and in New Zealand's case, not in any sort of obviously corrupt way, simply the government understanding that Median voters are mostly homeowners and therefore um, do not like policies that reduce house prices. And uh, the best way to get elected is to ensure that house prices are continuing to rise. But this is a problem when you understand how this erodes the social contract. When you realise that a bunch of people can see that this isn't fair. That essentially taxpayers at large are being used to socialise the losses. But when there's economic growth that is captured uh, by those who own assets. So you privatise the profits and socialise the losses. This is a problem. Because uh, for those people who have lost out in the last 30 years of the various moves to reform the economy and in theory create competitive markets and allow businesses to do what they need to do, 
and to remove government supports and to uh, um, reduce the various strands of the public safety net to you know avoid people um, sponging off the uh, the taxpayer the irony of that is quite something then um, and what you see is people starting to wonder not not feeling that they're actually being looked after by their government the social contract breaks down and eventually those people who um, don't feel that the government has listened to them or is being fair or that they are in effect um, never going to get ahead because uh, the government seems to prefer using the arms of the state to make the wealthy wealthier, uh, start to say no. And uh, the problem here is that the more unequal a society gets, the less cohesive it gets. And when there's a shock, um, the resilience is not there. And the best example of this we're seeing right now with the desperate need to increase vaccination rates amongst Māori, Pacifica, those who are in poor uh, areas that aren't well connected to the health system, uh, where people are sort of understandably saying, you want me to help you now? You want me to get vaccinated so you can get your economy going again? Uh, and there is a, there is a sort of a... Um, uh, a stubbornness there to say, you know, why should I help you when for the last 30 years you've done everything to make my life difficult and have helped yourself uh, when the chips were down and not helped me when I needed it. And so what we've seen in New Zealand is that the uh, levels of low vaccination, those areas and towns and suburbs that have the lowest vaccination rates, are also the same suburbs and areas and towns that are the poorest. So deprivation is highly correlated with low vaccination rates. And you can see a chart to that extent in the um, email I've sent out today. So this is a, a sort of a, a deeper dive in a stock take of how we are in the uh, current COVID response. And uh, as, a, as an example of um, what's happening here, I decided to ask the finance minister some questions yesterday. Now that we know the extent of the uh, support from the government, uh, it's likely to essentially finish uh, early next year, uh, although the government said it's keeping its um, options open. It means that once the transition payment is made, uh, we can the the whole you know uh, level three, level four um, support payments end, and um, it's likely to be the end of the process. Particularly once uh, businesses move out of the red level into the orange level, they're unlikely to get support. So we're nearing the end of the process. We sort of understand how much it is. So I thought I'd ask some questions about essentially responsibility and uh, um, the idea of worthy recipients of government support and otherwise. We've gotten into the habit these days of deciding who is worthy and who isn't for giving support, particularly those people. For example, if you've, you know, uh, you've got a, a partner or something, uh, MSD will work out if they, that partner should be looking after you. Um, so I decided to ask the finance minister some questions, particularly around the companies that are choosing not to vaccinate or not to use the vaccination mandates, whether they would receive the um, 
transition support payments and then generally um, has the response been fair? Here's the exchange. Um, could you uh, tell us what the situation for businesses that choose not to enter the traffic light system and um, are affected because they don't have customers because they're not allowed to, will they also get the support payment? So the transition support payment relates to a revenue period before the framework um, comes into operation. So where the transition payment looks backwards to uh, whether or not your revenue was affected when vaccine certificates, vaccine passes weren't passed. Looking forward from here, I've expressed my view that if we're using a revenue drop basis for support and that revenue drop is caused by the fact that you have chosen not to use a certificate regime, then it's my view that those kinds of economic supports shouldn't be available. Uh, as it happens, we're not proposing those at this time, but that certainly remains my view. And, and um, of the money that was paid to businesses last year and this year, um, those businesses, non-financial businesses, have, have increased their cash transaction accounts by $20 billion over the time the government gave them $14 billion. Uh, will you be looking to claw that $14 billion back and the $490 million today? Uh, no, and that's because we didn't go into this with that basis. The people who signed up for these schemes didn't sign it up with a clawback provision within it. Uh, I think we discussed this very matter on the 22nd of October and the small businesses have not had uh, that kind of return. It's mainly been the very large ones that have. These supports that we've had throughout this period of this outbreak have largely been targeted towards small businesses. The resurgence support payment and this transition payment are capped at that 50 FTE level. What businesses may choose to do in terms of whether or not they believe that you know, they, they got the support because they were concerned that things would happen and then they didn't. We've seen a number of businesses pay back and that's entirely up to them. But I think it would be bad faith of me to ask to claw back when that wasn't what people signed up for. Well, when businesses um, are overpaid for something um, in any description, they will be asked to get that we ask for the money back. This is not a case of overpayment. It's simply a case of the way the scheme was set up. I'd also say that a big chunk of this money has gone through and supported people to stay and work and keep their jobs. Mm. The money has actually gone to workers, some of them low-income workers, to make sure they're in work. And we stand here today with a 3.4% unemployment rate. And so I think in that sense, the wage subsidy scheme in particular has served its purpose. So the, the uh, finance minister there defending the wage subsidy scheme and the various resurgent support payments. Uh, although um, many of those in the um, poverty uh, um, activist community are not thrilled with the government's response. And uh, for those who are wondering if the COVID recovery, uh, which both overseas and here has been described as a recovery with a K, as in a K-shaped recovery. For some, they've rebounded well. For others, they haven't. I think it's worth asking that question. And um, there's a lot more detail in today's um, uh, email, which, you'll, which, you'll, which you can uh, look at with the podcast. Now, I've opened this one up to everyone, both the paid and the free subscribers, because I think this issue of 
uh, whether we have had a fair COVID response recovery and an effective one uh, is worthy of public debate. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was a podcast for the Kaka. It is Tuesday the 30th of November.